This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. <laughs> so how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am good. I've had a very nice, relaxing day. That's awesome. That's not water. It's not water. <laughs> I opened the fridge for water and I was like, Strongbow. <laughs> I just love how you were like, I'm going to get some water and then I'll be ready. <laughs> and not just one, but two Strongbows. I have a, I have two beers too. I have this one and then I have a bottle to refill. Um, this case fucking requires it. Dude. So you know how the case... Um, the guy in Mexico, the guy that was kidnapped. Uh-huh. Really got you. your husband? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. You know how it really got you? Uh-huh. And this one really got me. Yeah. So. It was rough. Side note, I've been waiting to tell you this all week. Yay! My mother-in-law calls Sarah and was mm-hmm. like, I have a funny story for you. And so we're oh, all yeah. excited, right? Um, My aunt Christy, or Sarah's aunt Christy, so my aunt-in-law... Um, she is like the picture perfect Southern Baptist woman. Oh no. Um, decided she was going to try to listen to us and support <laughs> us. <laughs> oh no. How badly did that go? She called Sarah's mom and she was like, um, do you know how they talk on there? <laughs> and my mother-in-law was like, honestly, we don't talk about it and that's okay. And then she was like, <laughs> But does she know how, or does Sarah know how he talks on there? And she was like, I mean, they live in this same house and they record in the guest room. So. Oh, no. I'm so sorry, Sarah's family. (laughs) I even told them not to listen. I was like, look, I mean, it's hilarious, but you're going to be offended by our language. Yeah. Sorry. I'm not really. I've been laughing about it all week. You know, I grew up in a very good Southern Baptist home, and so it's no, it's no words that I did not hear at church growing up. Right. Sorry about it. Um, oh, hey, before we forget, welcome to Lifetime Sentence. I'm Paul. I'm Erin. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, this case sucks. Yeah, it does. And um, this kind of wrecked me a little. Yeah, I'm just gonna say at the top to everybody, I am so sorry, dude. I thought this was a murder. I, which I don't know why that would make it better. I it doesn't. I have a lot of emotions to talk through. <laughs> me too. Me too. Um, this is probably gonna be a heavy one. So, but stay tuned. If you stick with us to the end, we might have a nice surprise for you. <laughs> I have a really good case of the week to turn into a Lifetime movie. Excellent. So do I. Good. (laughs) Good. Mm. Okay. I'm going to require... I just need a steady stream of alcohol to be going through my veins right now. This was Hence the strong bow instead of water. Oh, man. Okay. This week we're covering... The Girl in the Bathtub. It was released October 8th, 2018. Oh, damn. I didn't Um, realize it was that recent. Yeah, it was pretty recent. Um, It stars Caitlin Stacy Stassi. I'm going to go Stacy. 
I think the only person that calls herself Stassi is Stassi Schroeder from Vanderpump Rules. So, um, you spoke all German to me, and that's okay. Keep going. Anyway, she plays Julia Law. She was in the show Neighbors, which is an Australian soap opera. Okay. And she was also on the show Rain, which I think you've seen. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's the only reason I included it. <laughs> You're so good to me. I was like, he's seen that. Okay. Adrian Holmes, he plays Neil. He was in the movie Skyscraper with The Rock. Okay. That came out like um, like six or eight months ago. Okay. Um, he was in Cabin in the Woods. Oh, okay. And he was in uh, the Arrow TV show. Oh, okay. Arrow's the TV show that always has the hot guy on the cover? Mm-hmm. Okay. Jason Patrick, he plays Chuck. Okay. He was in Speed 2. In what? Speed 2. Okay. So, like, Speed, the Sandra Bullock movie. Right. The sequel. And then he was in My Sister's Keeper with our friend Abigail Breslin from I Perfect Sisters. I love that book so much. And I like I mean, the movie a lot, but... I haven't seen it either. I've heard it's a... It would also wreck me. Oh, so. yeah. You will start crying right now and not finish until Armageddon. <laughs> um, and then we have Kate Isaac. She plays Grace. She doesn't really play a big role in the movie, but I included her because she's in... All of the Lifetime and Hallmark movies. She's just in all of them. She has a small part in every single one, I'm convinced. That girl's making more money than any of us being a completely sure. unknown person. Yeah, she and she's um, starred with Aunt Becky a lot, so I'd really like to talk to her. Call us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally, we have Paul Campbell, who plays Paul, the ex-boyfriend. He was also, he's also been in some Hallmark movies. He was in a Godwink Christmas that played oh, uh, this okay. last year. <laughs> and he's also the subject of my favorite segment, Pornhub or TV. Is it a Godwink Christmas? Because I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird porn that would be. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past anyone at this point. I, nope. Okay, um... He was in a show, or actually a movie, called Dirty Singles. I'm going to guess it is a movie. It's a documentary about um, $1 bills found in strippers' (laughs) G-strings. It's not, but I would totally watch that documentary. Right? How much coke is on this single? Like, Have you you seen that they, like, tested a bunch, and, like, 90% of people's dollar bills have coke on them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, newsflash, by the way, 100% of McDonald's touchscreens, like, you know, the order screens Uh that were tested in a trial recently had fecal matter on them. Do not touch those. I saw that. Just go through the drive-thru like everybody else. Um, so Dirty Singles was a movie that was widely released in Canada. Our little friend up north, our hat. (laughs) And... Shit, I lost it. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Sorry. I'm just going to read you the uh, synopsis here. A close-knit circle of Toronto friends, shaken by the breakup of their favorite couple, are forced over a winter to finally grow up. I'm not into this at all. Mostly, how do you have a favorite couple? Right. I, that's what I want to know. Is it their favorite celebrity couple? Is it like, do they take a vote amongst their friends? Like, who's their favorite? I need more information. Right? Like, like, how do you, how do you reach that? And also, 
I'm now convinced that Sarah and I are Credonia's favorite couple and that we would just wreck you if anything happened. (laughs) (laughs) If you and Sarah broke up, I would be terribly sad. Um, I would also worry about how you would like feed yourself. Oh, I wouldn't. (laughs) I wouldn't. You, this podcast would just be you checking in with me every week to make sure I'm still alive. Like, oh, are you in there? (laughs) Just blink once for yes. (laughs) All right. Are you ready? Because it's about to get real dark. No. Okay. We start with like a Snapchat or Instagram story, I think. It's like a video. It looks like a Snapchat story. Okay. Julia is drinking Starbucks and telling um, her boyfriend that she misses him. She's like, I miss you. I love you. Um, I like, I love you more than the Starbucks, etc." Oh, that is a deep, deep love. Mm-hmm. The voiceover. So this, this movie is told from Julia's perspective after she dies. Like the lovely bones. Mm-hmm. The voiceover says, after I died, this video got over 2 million views. Um, she's talking about um, her boyfriend slash boss, Chuck, who's a big defense attorney. There's a gratuitous picture of John Gotti. And I was like, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> we go way back. Mm-hmm. We're BFFs. Um, we see. Okay, so she's like talking about. Um, her boyfriend and she's like I was found like in his apartment she's like by his property manager who is cleaning his house and I want to know what property this is and how do I get in because I need a, my property manager to also clean my house oh I can answer that right now because I'll forget otherwise by property manager it means the person who takes care of all the rental properties that he owns and is his personal maintenance man well, there we go. Actually, it was a woman, but you know. Oh, well, in the true story. <clears throat> this woman finds her body in the bathtub, which is, I'm guessing, the title, where that came from. <laughs> um, the news immediately gets posted on Facebook because that's the world that we live in. That um, sucks. Everybody stop. Mm-hmm. Um, someone calls her family who they're literally like lighting birthday candles on a cake for her. She's supposed to be there. No. Yeah. Don't start out um, like that, guys. Lean me into this. Finally, they zoom out on her body and she's in the most enviable bathtub I've ever seen in my life. We'll come back to that. What a way to go. <laughs> um, Cut to an interview with Chuck, who says he was madly in love with her, and he had no reason to kill her. Okay. Starting out strong. Yeah. One week earlier, that are, they're at a graduation party. They're all screaming, woo, for this girl that's graduating. Um, Chuck is fighting with his ex-wife or girlfriend, they never say. Um, and Angie, the receptionist, and Julia are watching on, like, from inside. And Angie says she overheard Chuck telling someone that he was in love with Julia. But Julia says she doesn't need that because Chuck's ex is so scary, she could throw her out of a window without even thinking about it. Defenestration is the way to go. So we now have two suspects in this murder. (laughs) (laughs) Also, um, she mentions that Chuck is 58 and Julia is 27. So let's all cringe right there. Oh, yes. I mean, you do what you want to do, but... Okay. 
Chuck comes in and they banter. Um, they cut to an interview with Angie and she's saying that they all knew when Julia came in the first day that um, Chuck would fall in love with her. <clears throat> Chuck tells Julia that his ex was like, oh, we should get back together. But he told her he was already seeing someone. That's sticking so, it to her, Chuck. Yep. You showed her. <laughs> so Julia and Chuck kiss. Um and he leaves after telling her again. He like turns around and he's like, you're so gorgeous. Which is sweet. Yes. That um, is the sweet. voiceover says Chuck went on the news saying he never laid a hand on her. And then she says it wasn't exactly true, but they never showed Chuck actually being violent with her. So I don't know where that was supposed to go. Okay. Um, cut to Chuck again in his interview saying that they had a perfect relationship and he wanted to marry her. A guy walks up to her his name is Paul, so he's her ex-boyfriend, and he um, tells her she looks really great, and she says she's trying to be healthy and quit smoking, etc. She puts a lot of emphasis on this, and I wasn't sure yet what she meant. Okay. But we're gonna get there. Um, Paul, the ex, ends up driving her home. Um, he asks if he can buy her dinner for her birthday the next week, and then they kiss. Oh. So that's three suspects for murder. <laughs> <laughs> We're just racking them up real quick. Yeah. The voiceover, um, Julia says that he's really nice, but he's super boring. Um, an interview with Paul says that she was his friend and he can't talk bad about her because she's not there to defend herself. And then she, he asks like the cameras to stop following him around. And I'm really confused about what this movie is supposed to be. Okay. Like, is it supposed to be like The Office? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> the Office. Is Michael the Scott office. the next suspect? <laughs> it's like The Office, but terribly sad. Um, so, um, cut again to Chuck being interviewed, and he says that the reason they've put together a grand jury on this is because the DA, who he calls the rat, a fat prick. <laughs> That's a direct quote from real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just heads up. He says he has it out for him and that he knows he didn't do anything wrong, but he's also a really bad attorney and Chuck always wins. So now the guy wants to put him in jail. <laughs> um, Julia walks up her stairs while very dramatic music plays. She goes into her house. Is it real music is, or lifetime music? I mean, it's, it's just lifetime. I mean, it's just dramatic music. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's just instrumental. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, she goes into her house and is immediately grabbed and slammed up against the wall by a very attractive man who then starts making out with her. And is not Chuck or Paul? Nope. Julia, get it, girl. I know. She was getting it. I'm kind of proud. Um, her voiceover says that she likes Chuck, but he was too old for her. Who she's really in love with is Neil, who just keeps breaking her heart because he's already married and has three children. Okay. Chuck texts her um, later, like after she and Neil um, um, read a book together. <laughs> Chuck texts her and wants her to come over. So Julia is like trying to make Neil jealous. She's like, oh, I'm going to go see him. And then she like starts picking out like lingerie. She's like, do you think he'll like this one? Do you think he'll like this one? And I was like, girl, bring it down. <laughs> Listen, she's on a mission. Um, 
So then we cut to an interview with Neil, who says they met at a bar. Um, she complimented his drink. He was drinking an old fashioned, um, <laughs> which I love. I love old fashions, but, but they have to be made really well. But do you go and compliment people on picking them? Because no. that seems like a weird meat cute. I well, I mean, it depends on how hot the guy is. I don't continue. I mean, I could see myself going up to a guy and being like, "Oh, you drink old fashions? Like that's cool." Yeah, but are you gonna be like? You have very good taste in alcoholic beverages, good sir. <laughs> Look, I I found the person I married when I was nineteen. I don't know how yeah. flirting works at a bar. Clearly, never flirted with anyone at <laughs> a bar. I've heard way dumber things said. Um, <laughs> um. Anyways, he says that they just clicked. Um, Julia is now on her way to Chuck's, but she stops up at a club to see if her sunglasses are there because I guess she left them there. It's important plot detail. Is it? I don't know. Oh, okay. This is not (laughs) part of my notes, at least. So this is the first part that it gets real bad. Um, This guy immediately sidles up beside her and tells her a story about how he lost something in a bar once. And then he went back later and the bartender was wearing the thing that he lost. I think it was a hat. Okay. Um. He offers her some champagne and she accepts while I sit on my couch and scream, no, 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 no don't no, do no. that. <laughs> um, he says that he just moved to the neighborhood. Um, the bartender comes back and he's like, hey, I don't have your, your sunglasses. So she gives the bartender her number um, in case they turn up and she turns to leave. Um, the new guy stops and asks where she's going. She says she's on her way to meet somebody. Um he says, oh, okay, but as soon as she turns around, she gets the spins because this motherfucker roofied her. Oh, no. Oh, no. She, I, don't, yeah. I don't like this. No. Change the channel. Yeah. Let I me see did. that cocaine on the dollar bill thing again. <laughs> I'm going to turn on dirty singles. <laughs> <laughs> um, she passes out in the bar. She wakes up the next morning in a pool of her own vomit. Oh. Covered. And I mean covered in bruises. Mm-mm. I don't like this. The guy is in the shower. So she's like trying to get ready real quick. And finally he comes out of the bathroom. And he is, is like, oh, wow, that was a crazy night, right? What a dick. Um, so she goes to the bathroom and splashes water on her face. And then she says she has to go. Um, but her phone is dead. And so this guy, I swear to God, I would have murdered a man if he'd done this to me. And then says this next thing. He says, let me get you an Uber. You can pay me back. I'll get right on top of that, Rose. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. She goes home and pours herself a glass of wine. Which at this point I did not see as problematic, but you might later, need to. Yeah, mm-hmm. she texts Neil what happened. She's like, "Somebody roofied me last night," and he calls her on Facetime, and he's like, "You need to call the police." She says that she can't; that it's like her word against his. Um, at the same time, she's on a website about substance abuse. Gotcha. The voiceover says that she's been checking it out. Um. So she walks into her living room where she has a life-size portrait of Amy Winehouse hanging on the wall. 
I'm the juxtaposition here. I mm-hmm. I almost sang rehab. I stopped myself four times. <laughs> um, we get the first of two this week. Lifetime edits of the week. Oh, good. That makes it for was it last week? Didn't have one or two weeks ago? Yeah, last week didn't have one. They had candy buttons instead. That's right. Oh Lord. Okay. Um, she says that she feels like the portrait watches over her, etc. And the portrait comes to life and winks at her. What? Are you sure this wasn't an ABC after school special? <laughs> the Babysitter's Club movie? <laughs> um, she lays on her couch under the portrait and sleeps until Monday. Because, you know, roofies. Um, she wakes up late for work and she mixes the weirdest cocktail I've ever seen. First of all, it's breakfast time on a Monday. If it's not orange juice and some combination of alcohol, then it's wrong. It's a raw egg. Nope. Covered in sriracha sauce. Ugh. Some other kind of like, I think brown, like I'm thinking like a brown Asian, like a fish sauce, oyster sauce, that kind of something. With vodka. No! Drinks it. I wrote yum. (laughs) Um, she's not looking her best when she gets into the office, but, um, she makes it through the day. Chuck takes their team to dinner after work and lots of drinks after she leaves and is smoking on the corner. Like, I thought she was trying to quit smoking, but, you know, say la vie. Corner smoking um, doesn't count. Oh, sure. Okay. Um... Neil picks her up and she says she doesn't feel well, like she may pass out. And she says, finally, she's like, oh, I'm having a panic attack. And instead of taking her home or to the hospital or like, I don't know, anywhere else, he takes her to a bar for drinks. What? Okay. I don't know how you deal with panic attacks, but that's exactly what I do. Sure. Go straight to a bar, compliment somebody on their old fashioned. (laughs) And then find my fucking sunglasses. <laughs> um, Neil tries to get her to call the police again about the um, the the rape. Not even date rape. It wasn't a date rape. Um, and she again says no. She makes a little scene in the in the bar. So he takes her to a hotel room because she's not she doesn't feel safe in her house because she, the guy stole her keys. Um, Shit, she cannot catch a break. No. So she goes into this really like nice posh hotel room where she pours herself another drink. Please tell me she has a raw egg in her purse so that she can make a second round. <laughs> no. <laughs> Neil calls for her to get the locks changed on her apartment and her voiceover calls Neil, quote, a really good daddy. Oh, <laughs> I veto this. (laughs) Delete it. We're deleting this episode. We're re-uploading Calendar Girl, and that's what we're doing this week. I cannot handle this. Oh, no. You didn't even have to watch it. I know. He says that he can help her relax and calm down. 
So they have sex. Oh, that's how you relax and calm down after you've just been raped. I, yeah. Um, Neil's wife calls later after they're cuddling. And so he starts to get dressed and leave. She asks him to stay with her and he says no, but he'll make it up to her. Why don't you stay? Sugarland. Okay. Oh yeah. Huh. That's <laughs> from the perspective of the other woman. It's been a few Oh yeah. It's been a few minutes since that one. Yeah. A couple of days. I, I haven't heard that in a long time. Um so we cut to an interview where he says, um, he and Julia Neil says he and Julia talked about him splitting up with his wife and getting a divorce. But Julia had told him not to. Okay. Which, oh, hi. If you want a divorce, get one. Yeah. Um, but that's none of my business. <laughs> so Julia's voiceover says that she really doesn't like to sleep alone, which I get. I really hate to sleep alone. Um, um, and so... She has, like, a little bout of sleep paralysis. Oh, no. Where she can, like, see someone out of the corner of her eye, like, digging through her hotel room, but nobody's really there. That's the worst. Yeah. Um, she says now that she drinks to fall asleep, and then she has nightmares because she's been drinking. Um, and then she wakes up and drinks again to forget the nightmares. Um, just try some NyQuil next time. <laughs> yeah. A couple of Benadryl. Mm-hmm. She buys a shit ton of supplements at the health food store to help her stop drinking. I hope she also buys some melatonin. I think that was one of the things she okay, had. Um, she is going to check out, but she lost her wallet. So the lady that was checking her out feels bad and she gives her some yogurt as like a consolation prize. <laughs> Chuck comes into work and says that this guy that he was defending was acquitted when he should have gotten manslaughter, quote, at least. <laughs> I was like, um, that's not the correct way. I mean, I guess he did his job, but. Yeah, that's why I didn't. So I was accepted to law school mm-hmm. and I wanted to do criminal law, but I realized my two options were defend people who done fucked up shit that we're currently talking about on our podcast mm-hmm. or accuse people of doing fucked up shit that we're currently talking about on our podcast. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know whether I wanted to send an innocent man to jail mm-hmm. or defend a murderer and get him out of jail. And so I was just like, you know what? Let's teach English. You know, you could have done like what Kathleen Zellner and some of those other people do, which is get innocent people out of prison. I would love to do that. Um, right um but i understand like the the struggle of trying to pick one of those things right because i feel like sometimes in the legal system it's about winning it's not about putting the right person in jail right that's exactly right Mm -hmm. i get it i get it um we cut to an interview with julia's sister and she says that julia didn't love chuck but she didn't know how to end things with him. So um, Julia and Chuck are laying together and she says her birthday is on Monday. And then they start talking about some big old party he's having for Memorial Day. Okay. Um, she says she can't go because she's going to spend the, her birthday with her family uh, for the first time in a really long time. He says he'll just send a car along 
to bring her after she spends it with her family, which I'm not sure how that's going to work because they live in Philadelphia and the party's in Miami. Um, a really fast car. <laughs> it's a DeLorean. Right. Later, Chuck is sleeping. Um, so she sneaks out of bed for a drink and she texts Neil, OMFG, Chuck wants to take me to Miami. And Neil responds, Will you always want to be with me no matter what man you end up with? Just so fucking manipulative. I can't. I, um, I don't like any of this. Are we sure I can't change the channel yet? I'm sure. Um, she says, quote, Chuck could never replace you for me. One time and he's out cold snoring. But he's not out cold. He's standing right behind her. Oh, shit. <laughs> I was not prepared. But they don't go there. He's just like, hey, who are you texting? And then it went to commercial and it came back and it's Wednesday. <laughs> oh. She's FaceTiming her sister because Chuck is mad at her for not going to his party. And I'm guessing that that's the fight that started. Okay. That like grew out of like, who are you texting? Why are you up in the middle of the night? You know? Right. Um, she tells her sister that she's dating Chuck because her sister's like, why does your boss care that you don't come to his stupid party? <laughs> Um, she says it's not her fault that quote that Chuck like fell in love with her. It's never my fault that I'm irresistible. It's not my fault that I'm so popular. Um, she asks her sister not to tell their mom that she's dating him. And so her sister naturally just like hung up the phone and told their mom. Right. (laughs) My mom called me the other day and she was like, don't tell your brothers that I got three horses. I told them I only got one. So I was like, okay, great. And I hung up the phone and I (laughs) called my big brother immediately. And I said, why did you leave her unattended? She got three horses. That's how it works. (laughs) Um, so, um, she says that she is going to come to the family party and then after she hangs up, she pulls a mini bottle of vodka out of her desk. Oh, thank God she came prepared. I know, but she doesn't drink it. Instead, she goes um, to an AA meeting. <laughs> That's she... her. Is that her new t- chip? Like, they don't do the chips anymore? They just give you a tiny little airline bottle of vodka? No. I mean, she goes to a meeting, and I think that's good. Instead of drinking, she puts it down and she goes to Oh, she puts it down. Yeah. Okay. I In my head, she grabbed that bottle and then she power walked her way to the (laughs) Alcoholics Anonymous meeting with that tiny little bottle of vodka. She's like, watch this, motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) I brought you a present. (laughs) (laughs) No, she puts it away and she goes to a meeting where she gets some much needed support. Um, They give her a phone list and tell her to please, like, keep coming back. Um... She then goes to dinner with Neil and they talk about which guy she should settle down with. What a weird conversation to have with your boyfriend. Like, which other guy should you marry? Well, because he's already taken. Right. Right. But I still think that's a weird conversation. So wouldn't you want your married boyfriend to get to pick the man that you wind up with? Wouldn't you want everyone to be happy? No. <laughs> not even a little bit not even close no not even a little no um you just don't make things complicated enough that's your problem yeah i know you're I'm too t- pragmatic about you're everything too low maintenance aaron <laughs> that's hysterical i hope everyone that i know in real life just heard someone call me low maintenance for the first time ever <laughs> oh, you're man. welcome um, 
so he tells her, so she starts getting like all bent out of shape about Chuck and Paul to Neil. And he tells her to calm down, which goes really well. Don't fucking tell people to calm down. <laughs> Just don't. Never in the history of calm down has ever, anyone ever calmed down from being told to calm down. <laughs> Welcome to Psychiatry Corner with Paul, where I'm going to explain to you, it is much better to say, I understand you're angry, than to say, calm down. Start with validation. Mm-hmm. Your partner will appreciate it. The world will appreciate it. And you will appreciate it when you're not getting screamed at. <laughs> so they get in a huge fight and she leaves. She goes to therapy to discuss um, quitting drinking. And the therapist suggests inpatient because she drinks so much that she needs to be like monitored. That's rough. Um, instead... Um, instead, Julia asks for benzos to help with withdrawals. Okay. Which is a thing yeah. that, again, I'm pretty sure should be given with some kind of medical supervision. Nah, she's a big girl. She has that tiny bottle of vodka. She's a real responsible adult. Look, the doctor, here's my issue with that, is the doctor gives them to her. She's like, hey, just don't detox by yourself. Here's your prescription for Valium and Clonopin. And like, she gives her like four different medications. And I'm like, dude, what? what's happening? I'm going to the wrong doctor. For real. Um, My doctor actually says he hates treating me because I walk in and tell him what Sarah says I need. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, look, I did your work for you. You should be grateful. Yeah, I, <laughs> I've been told I'm hard to treat because I always know what's wrong with me already. I'm like, I'm literally doing half your job for you. I don't know why that's hard. Right. (laughs) I just need you to sign your name on this little slip of paper and let me go get my antidepressant, you know, like, so like a few, a couple of years ago, um, I stubbed my toe at a restaurant real bad. It like took all the skin off. Oh, and a couple of weeks later, I went into the emergency room because like the veins in my foot were turning black. And I walked in and I was like, I think I have a staph infection. And the doctor was like, no, you don't. You're fine. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I have a staph infection. And it wasn't the doctor at that point. It was a nurse. And she was like, no, you're, you're good. You're good. The doctor came in and was like, yeah, you have a staph infection. And I was like, mm-hmm, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just came here because I need treatment for it. I can't treat myself. <laughs> Listen, I watch a lot of Grey's Anatomy. Scoot mm-hmm. over and I will take care of it. Yeah, just, just hand me the pad. I got it. Like. <laughs> Good grief. Um, so she's at the pharmacy filling her prescription for the benzos that she definitely should not have been prescribed, but that's none of my business, whatever. Um, she sees the guy who roofied her. Oh, fuck no. She texts Neil instead of calling the police for some reason. I will um, never understand. And people do that in real life. It's not just mm-hmm. Lifetime movies. No, it's true. It's a real thing. Um, then she confronts the guy guy in the pharmacy. Don't do screaming. that. She's screaming like a complete lunatic. Yeah, of course she is. Don't do that. Exactly. I'm not saying she wasn't justified because she was justified in her oh, reaction. Absolutely. However, it was not the best way to handle the situation because he runs away. Oh my god. She had been recording it with her phone, so she shows the video to Neil, 
And he's like, hey, I know people at the police station. And she's like, no, nah, I'm going to put it on YouTube. <sighs> I, she I'm having later, a visceral eye roll reaction to this. I know. I can see you. <laughs> <laughs> later, they're in bed and she asks him to spend the weekend with her to help her detox. Oh, won't you stay with me? <laughs> he says he can't this weekend, but he can next weekend. What do you do that you can spend a whole weekend away from your wife? I don't that I don't I don't know. <laughs> um um so after he leaves, she decides that she's just going to detox on her own, exactly like they told her not to do. Seems like the smartest plan I've heard all day. Oh, for sure. Um, so she goes for a run. Like you do. Like you do. When you're detoxing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She calls her family to say that she's not coming, so they get in a fight. Um, then she screws something up at work and somebody yells at her. So she cries in the bathroom and Paul comes to comfort her because I guess he works there. Okay. Um, and they kiss again. Um, we cut to an interview with Chuck and he says he can't call her a delicate flower per se, but she was a delicate flower. I d- okay, keep going. So she goes next to the part of Chuck's party that's in Philadelphia. And who shows up? I'm going to say, um, I'm going to try a second time with Ed McMahon with the giant check. No, but Neil and his wife show up. Oh, shit. Is his wife the roofie man? This is the only way this could get better. (laughs) Yeah, he's just like secretly married to the roofie guy. (laughs) (laughs) And Paul is their son. It's all coming together. (laughs) And Dr. Drake Ramore walks in. (laughs) <laughs> what about Stryker Ramore? Of course he's there too. Okay. Um, so yeah, Neil and his wife walk in. Neil completely ignores Julia while Chuck and Neil and Neil's wife, Grace, talk. Um, they all ignore Julia, actually, so she just like goes outside. Um I hate it when my philandering secret boyfriend ignores me while I'm at a party looking hot. But she was with her real boyfriend, too, who was also ignoring her, so... Right. Um, so, Neil follows her outside, and she starts yelling at him. She says that she's sick of being in a relationship with Don freaking Draper. Um, hey, I would gladly be in a relationship with Don Draper. Amen. I've seen the pictures. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I'm sorry, what were we talking about? We need to give Aaron a minute. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back after this short break. (laughs) Hold on. I'll be right back. (laughs) Aaron is pressing a cool towel to her forehead as we speak. (laughs) I love him so much. (laughs) Um, They fight and she goes inside. She's like, well, um, what if I just told your wife right now that we were together? And he's like, what? And so she goes inside and you think that she's going to tell her, but she doesn't. Um, 
This girl has no follow through. No. So we cut to an interview with Neil's wife, like later. And she's talking about when, um, when she heard about Julia's death. Um, she says that she and Neil were driving in the car. Um, and she looked over at him when the story was on and he was crying and he was crying so hard that he had to pull over. And so that's when he confessed to the affair. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so back at the party, she goes in and fights with Chuck. I guess that's all there was left to do. He tells her he wants to marry her, flaws and all. And so they make up and make out. In the middle of the party? Yeah. Okay. So they're interrupted by Chuck's ex, who um, she and Chuck get into a physical altercation, and they drag her out while she screams, I'm coming for you! <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Um, now, Julia does the ex have home. a name? I don't remember. Was it Jenna? She has a name. I don't think so. Okay. I can look it up in a minute. The name, there are very few names that you've said that are consistent with the real story, so I would be mm-hmm. surprised, but I was just wondering. I think it might be Kate. Okay. Not that it really matters, but. Um, so she goes home with Chuck and he gives her wine. He's like, here, take this. And she's. She takes it, but then she tells Chuck that he doesn't know anything about her. And he turns around and he retorts, well, I know actually a lot about you. He's like, I know you're anorexic. And, oh, no, he says, I know you're anorexic. And she's like, I'm not anorexic. And he's like, well, bulimic, it's the same thing. And so I'm not saying they're the same thing because they're not. They're not. He said they're the same thing. They are not the same thing. To be an attorney, you're really dumb. Yeah a person that um has suffered from one of those things they're not the same okay um she says she tells him that she's been to rehab um and not just for the eating disorder and he says that doesn't scare him um he said when he said that she was perfect he meant perfect for him oh um he takes i still don't like any of this i'm glad you think that's sweet he well it's if a guy that you were dating was like, you're perfect for me. That's Yeah, cute. but he's also missed the whole point that she's like a raging alcoholic. So well, we're I, getting there. Let me finish. I have a lot of emotions, okay? He takes the wine and he's like, you want to stop drinking? Fine, we'll stop drinking. And he throws the wine down the drain and then he breaks the glasses and says he can help her get sober. Okay. He, um, he sits down and says he had a younger brother. Um, who was an addict and overdosed on Quaaludes. And I was like, wow, this guy is old. Oh, yeah. Quaaludes have not been a thing for a long time. <laughs> I had to educate Sarah this week on what a Quaalude is. That's terrifying since she is a doctor. <laughs> well, because they haven't been a thing. Like, Yeah, but I would think that that's something you would learn. No, they don't learn about past medication. They learn current medications because there's so much, like the breadth of knowledge they have to have. True. And she's double board certified. Like she's got such a huge dearth of knowledge as is. She doesn't need to look in the past. <laughs> just keep looking ahead. I would just assume that at some point they would be like, hey, we used to give people cocaine, but then we realized that was bad. Well, and now we give them well, this. She <laughs> knew that stuff, but the name Quaalude was not a. Uh, a thing that would have ever come out like they're aware that cocaine was a treatment for things i mean i learned about quaaludes when in my drugs and society class 
I want to take that class. Being a music major really restricted the cool classes I got to take. It's a good class. Um, she cries at this point and says if he knew the real her, he wouldn't love her. He says that none of what she said scares him and they'll make it work. And I wrote, all of this is really sweet unless he kills her in a few minutes because I didn't know how this movie ended at the time. I still don't know how it ends. Um, cut to an interview with Julia's mom who talks about her previous rehab stays and how sweet and sensitive she was. Um, cut back to the present and Chuck is leaving his apartment and he leaves Julia there with the keys. He tells her that the bathtub cost $10,000. Holy shit. And he's never used it. How fucking rich do you have to be to pay $10,000 for something you've never touched? I don't know, but he's like, you really need to get some use out of that thing um, while while I'm gone. Which literally, right after he left, I would have gotten in it and I would have not gotten out until he came back. <laughs> I mean, she didn't. <sighs> you know, I'm she sorry. She got out before he came back. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Um, so he then says... That Oh, he teases her about proposing to her, and then he leaves, and he says, quote, if you bail on me, they'll need your dental records to identify you, and they're both like, ha, ha, ha. I'm, that's not a funny joke. I was waiting for the punchline, but you yeah, never got there. The, um, the voiceover says that he left about 11, and so now we cut to different people, like, after the fact, gossiping about what happened. Um, the theories include Chuck finding her hooking up with Paul, Chuck finding her hooking up with Angie, Chuck finding her hooking up with both of them. Who's um, Angie? The receptionist. Oh, that's right. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, her name was Aisha in real life. Ah, uh, yes. So they also say that Chuck had one of the mafia guys he used to represent kill her, um, that a secret lover, a.k.a. Neil... Um, broke into the apartment and killed her that Neil's wife broke into the apartment and killed her so there's just tons of theories about what happened to this poor girl Neil's wife the roofie man yeah she says that none of these theories are true um, that Chuck was in New Jersey Neil was at home and she was alone and this is the first point where I was like wait what (laughs) and I'm about to bring it way down. Um, she makes a salad. She watches TV. She sends some sex, like some naked pictures to Neil and to Chuck, like to just all kinds of people. Um, <laughs> all kinds of people makes it sound like she was playing uh, um, contact book roulette. <laughs> she, well, she says at some point, I don't know if I wrote it down. She says at some point she sent like 85 texts and like made like 12 or 13 different phone calls and left a bunch of, you know, so she tried okay. to get in touch with people. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, she, her voiceover says that she had quite the mix of drugs and liquor in her system. There is a montage of her messing around in the house, goofing off while people talk about how funny and interesting she was. Um, her voiceover says that she couldn't calm down. She takes a ton of pills and starts to spiral, and then she starts to hallucinate and vomit. Oh, no. She dunks her face under the sink faucet 
um, she's chatting online with someone from the sober website who tells her that in rehab, they dose benzos every half hour. And so at this point she writes back and says, yeah, I already took them all. Oh shit. So she types then that she's abandoning her efforts and will try again next weekend. She walks away from the computer before the message quote, dangerous to mix benzos and alcohol comes through. No. Which it is very, very dangerous. Um, She gets into Chuck's liquor cart and um, we get a second edit of the week because I cannot leave this part out. (laughs) She turns around from the liquor cart and I mean, she's hallucinating, so it's not, I don't know. There's a second version of herself dressed as Amy Winehouse saying, who's ready to party? No! (laughs) Um, I know. So she starts drinking and she drunk dials like everyone she knows. Um, She's sending messages and leaving voicemails, but nobody comes. She calls a girl that she knew in rehab who's on her way to her honeymoon. Um, Julia like is talking in the phone. She's like, I don't feel well, but she's talking really softly. And so the girl can't hear her and she hangs up. Oh no. So Julia gets into the bathtub and she's crying. She's cause she's all alone. And she's really upset. Um, she gets like leans back in the bathtub and falls asleep slash passes out. Um, and then because the bathtub is roughly the size of a small country, she slips under no, she and they tell that they can't, there's the voice of her says that the coroner could never tell what actually killed her. No. The police come and take her away. Um, Chuck comes home and um, cries while he cleans his bathtub. Um, her voiceover says that no charges were ever, ever filed and the police ruled out foul play, but people still spend a lot of time trying to figure out what exactly happened to her. And it ends with like a close up of her um, photo at her funeral. Oh my God. This ending wrecked my soul. Yeah. I remember going through like one of the hardest parts in my life where I was not drinking for fun. I was drinking to like numb some pain. And I remember like being that kind of like sad and alone and just not knowing what to do with myself And that was horrible. I bawled at the end of this movie. It was really awful. That's awful. And so there is no cocktail of the week. Go pour yourself a glass of water and hydrate. Yes. Just do it. Oh, fuck. I'm done. Tell me the real story. I don't want to. Okay. I know. So my sources, I have a ton of sources. Um, They're all going to be listed on the drive. I mean, on the blog. Mm -hmm. Um, but the one, main ones I want to talk about, um, is there was a piece in Philly magazine called the dead girl in Chuck Peruto's bathtub. Uh-huh. And then, um, a bustle article is the girl in the bathtub based on a true story. The lifetime drama is ripped from the headlines. Mm-hmm. And then, um, The Philly Magazine article was then expanded into a book called Mm -hmm. The Dead Girl in the Bathtub by Lisa DiPaolo. Um, And so that's the book that I read today. 
Um, yeah. Be- <laughs> when you sent me a, a message that said, I just read a book in two hours. <laughs> yeah. So, um, as I told you last night, it was hard to find a lot of like biographical information on Julia because mm-hmm. I like to tell the life story of the Victor more, you know, the focus because it's important, but mm-hmm. her family has been really like hush hush about her in general. So it's been very mm-hmm. hard to find this information. Um, so if I'm casting this film, which is where I'm going to start, I, uh, yeah. I told you last night, I figured out how to show you my, um, yeah. so I'm going to show you my screen. And okay. so this, that will I'm, it be in this call or do I need to go in the drive? No, it's in the call. Okay. Like you don't have to do anything. Awesome. Um, so this is Julia Law. Wow. Yeah. She's so pretty. Uh-huh. And if I'm casting her, she's played by a young Valerie Bertinelli. Oh, yeah. I see that. And then um, the next person I'm going to show you is um, Chuck Peruto. And I did not cast anyone else, even though there wound up being a couple more people, because I didn't find that book until about three hours ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. so here is Chuck. And as you know, he is a prominent defense attorney and so i wow, he's much hotter in the movie i'm casting him as william shatner playing denny crane yes <laughs> yes that's perfect yep so uh these pictures will be on the blog uh, so you can see what we saw but uh it's really fun that i figured out how to share screens and that now yeah, you can see really what i'm exciting. seeing mm-hmm. um all right so on May 25th, 2013, a maintenance worker called 911, reporting finding the body of a woman, um, sorry, finding the woman of a body face down. The in woman the, of a body? Uh-huh, the woman of a body. <laughs> the body of a woman face down in the third floor bathtub full of water in the home of defense attorney A. Charles Peruto Jr., who I will henceforth refer to as Chuck. Huh. Good old Chuck. Chuck was a prominent defense attorney in Philadelphia at the time, and the woman in his bathtub was quickly determined to be Julia Law, a 26-year-old paralegal who worked for him, as well as his secret girlfriend. Okay, I have a question. Yep. And maybe you don't know this. How prominent was he? Oh, I do know that. It's in here. Um, In fact, that's half of what I'm going to talk about right now, because he could have his own Lifetime movie. That's how prominent he is. Excellent. Because I'm just, I'm trying, I can... I compare every other defense attorney to the guy here, Thomas J. Henry, who's just a gazillionaire and has his own, Um, has his own, had his birthday party on a private Island and it cost like $5 million for his birthday party. Yeah. He's that, he's that (laughs) kind of prominent. Um, It comes up later in my notes, but his father is still regarded as the most respected attorney who's ever worked in Philadelphia. Okay. I wouldn't really call Thomas J. Henry respected. No, the, his dad was very respected. I don't know about the son, but we'll talk about how prominent he is. Okay. Um, Perfect. So it soon came out that Chuck and Julia had been dating in secret for about six weeks, which would have brought suspicion upon Chuck, except for a few reasons. Um, the first thing that ruled Chuck out as a suspect is that he, um, his alibi was that he was away in Avalon, which is at the Jersey shore. 
And I guess he was GTLing and uh, he was escaping the stress of representing like high profile clients and sneaking. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so I said that he was escaping the stress of representing high profile clients and sneaking around with his employees. I mean, look, if you have to get mobsters out of jail, I can't imagine that that's not stressful. Right. Um, Now, he did also have some rental properties in Avalon, and Mm -hmm. he was actually down there getting them ready for the summer tourists to stay in. Oh, sure. Um, He's an entrepreneur, you know? Right. So the police used this alibi as the reason that they only questioned him as a witness and not as a suspect. Okay. But... What the unspoken issue is, is that he was an, a very wealthy, high-powered, successful, and very well-connected defense attorney in Philadelphia who mm-hmm. had been voted a super lawyer by his peers nine years in a row. What and constitutes a super lawyer? I'm about to tell you because I looked into that. I, Excellent. like, deep dove into this, like, I'm eye-twitching by the end of the reading. <laughs> um, so basically a super lawyer is like a designation, an award that you get um, that is voted on by law practicing, by his not law practicing colleagues in Philadelphia. So it wasn't just like the people in his practice. It was all the attorneys in Philadelphia voted on this thing and you could be designated a super lawyer and it puts you like high up on the preferred lawyers list for any big cases. Look, I'm a little bit bummed because all the designations I can get from my job are just letters. Look, I got my picture on I a Facebook be, like, page today. Super I got my picture on a Facebook page today and screenshot it and sent it to you like I won yeah. the lottery. Oh, I'm on my company's uh, Instagram this week. We're so fancy. Y'all didn't know you're listening to such successful celebrities. Right? <laughs> um, tens of people have seen our pictures. Oh, sorry. Oh. Erin, I'm not boring you that much yet. I'm no. only on page one. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was trying to She's check like something. She's like clicking and... through YouTube videos. I'm trying to tell <laughs> y'all a opened, story. It opened the master's um, uh, highlights video. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> anyway, so this designation of super lawyer um, came with him being regarded as like this super... Um, he was he was a, like a bulldog at cross examination, and he okay. could make anybody crack, and he could find the holes in any case. And sometimes the other attorneys at other practices would call him in just to cross examine one witness, and they would have to pay upwards of five hundred dollars an hour just to bring him in for that one cross examination. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um. So what it mostly indicated is that he had a lot of powerful supporters. And his father was considered the best criminal attorney who's ever practiced in Philadelphia, meaning that he had a legacy of support, but also of privilege. Okay. Um, Many of his cases have been covered by the media and written about Mm -hmm. in publications that include the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and even Playboy magazine. Back when they reported news. Because he's old. He only subscribed to the articles. Right. Um. Unless the police had walked in on... This was me completely conjecturing. But 
Unless the police had walked in on Chuck holding a knife, soliloquying about why he had killed Julia while covered in blood and been recorded by seven different surveillance cameras, he was never going to be considered a suspect. Sure. He just had too much power. I I mean, I get it. Yeah. Um, And that's purely conjecture. But what I know about crime, what I know about power and what I know about privilege kind of leads to this perfect storm. Yeah. Um, So... It was honestly very hard to find out a whole lot about Julia Law. Her family was very protective of her information, and Mm -hmm. um, her case wasn't really glamorized like many of the cases that we cover. So she was 26 years old and was just days away from celebrating her 27th birthday, which means that she and I were born in the same year. Like, she's my age. Wow. Um, Her stepfather reported that at the time of her death, she had just gone through a very emotional breakup, but he confirmed that it was not with Chuck. And he was just going to leave it at that. That comes back later. Okay. Um, the night before Julia was discovered in Chuck's bathtub, she'd been texting Chuck and some of her co-workers until one in the morning. Mm-hmm. She was lamenting that Chuck had a lack of scented bubble bath at his house. And for a lot of the people get, getting these texts, they seem like regular kinds of conversation. What a dick. Get some scented bubble bath, man. Right. So it, that 27-year-old... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that all comes back later uh, because now I kind of am going into the narrative of what happened coming okay. like from the discovery on. Okay. So when Jaime uh, Santisteban called Chuck at 10 in the morning, uh, he said, there's a girl in your bathtub. And Chuck responded, oh, yeah, that's my girlfriend. She's allowed to be there. And... <laughs> He's like, no, dude, she's dead. <laughs> and that's, that's what Jaime had to say that Julia was unresponsive. So Chuck told him to shake her and pull her out of the bathtub. And then what I find really odd, he was like, what color hair does she have? And he said that it was him just trying to make sure it was actually Julia. But I mean, I've never grieved this way, but I don't know that that would be a question I asked. Well, and I'm, I don't know. I kind of get it because I feel like if somebody called me and I was out of town and I had left like my imaginary boyfriend here um, <laughs> and somebody like the maintenance man is like, hey, there's like a dead dude in your bathtub. I'd be like, I'd want to make sure that it wasn't the guy that I'm in love with. Right. Or I I'd, I'd, like my brain would be like, wait, it can't be that guy. You know, see, my brain automatically goes to it's Sarah like. While I was gone, yes. And my brain would be like, oh, it has to be anybody but Pablo. Um, as my, like. Not Pablo. While I was in Dallas yesterday, you know, there are bad storms here. And yeah. I spent the whole day afraid a tree had fallen on my house. Oh, no. Like, that, I just go to the worst case scenario always. So, when I would be like, it's probably Pablo, but I want to make sure that it's not anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably Pablo because that's my life, but. Please let it be anybody but. Right. So what I, another thing I found interesting is that the reason that Jaime was at Chuck's apartment was because Chuck had called and said, I need you to go pick up this very specific shirt from my house and bring it yes. down to me at the Jersey Shore. They mentioned that at the, in the movie, but they don't. 
it, it's it, like they mentioned at the top, but they never like come back to it. You don't ever see the phone call where he's like, hey, I need this shirt. Like they just kind of mention it in passing and then never come back. So, you know, there's never any explanation in anything that I read. And like I said, I read like 100 sources, it felt like that explains why this particular shirt is so important. Look, he was going to take his driving test. He just wanted his white collarless shirt from Fred Siegel. <laughs> yes. So um, he told Jaime immediately to call 911. And then he called 911. And so another interesting thing is that Chuck's 911 call went to the dispatch at Sea Isle City, which is 20 minutes away from Avalon, where he said he was staying. Um, yeah, that is interesting. I was going to say, well, it goes to the closest one. I, I mean, I don't know how it's set up, if that's like more of a remote, like more upper echelon kind of community. And so the closest like real police department is farther away. Yeah, maybe, except that the reporter also found that weird. And I'm going to assume okay. that the reporter had done more research than me. She probably did. Um, so, um, I assume it's a woman. It was. It could be a dude. No, it was. That was Lisa DePaolo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, um, his, his alibi witness had actually been Trent Cole, who was a linebacker for, for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, if you need an alibi, I guess a super famous dude right. is preferable. Somebody that people really love. Because if you need someone to testify in front of a jury, you need someone that they're going to be like, oh, that's Patrick Swayze. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I get it. However, the – oh, this is why I wrote this down. So the um, the call going to see Isle City is actually what gave the police a moment of pause. Mm-hmm. Um, and then – I pulled this quote from Philly Mag, um, from Philly Magazine, and it was um, just kind of what happened next. It says, he gets into his white Mercedes, not even stopping to brush his teeth, and drives 100 miles an hour to get back to the city. From his car, he makes more phone calls. His 33-year-old son, Chaz, his only child, and the father of Chuck's two grandchildren, has also gotten a call from Jaime. To Chaz... Chaz? Yeah... I bet he's Charles the Third. I hate it. And there's he already took Chuck, and Charlie just, just call him a little Charles kid. or Charlie or anything else but Chaz. Um, to Chaz, Jaime seemed unhinged. It was hard to understand what he was saying because English was his second language. He was Peruvian. Okay. Um, and then Chaz says he instructed Jaime to take a picture with his cell phone. The photo comes through, a gruesome picture. Now there is no doubt. On the phone with his father, Chaz tries to let him believe there's still hope so he doesn't kill himself on the road. His father right. is sobbing. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. So Chuck's next phone call was to Rich DeCipio, who was a top lawyer in Chuck's practice. Uh-huh. And Chuck hired him to be his representative and spokesperson throughout the whole ordeal, okay. which actually wound up being kind of disastrous for Chuck. Oh. Um, DeCipio said he'd meet Chuck at his apartment when he made it back home. And then Chuck later recalled that when he made it to his apartment complex, the place was already swarming with police and surrounded by news trucks. 
Reporters kept sticking microphones in his face. I almost said microphoses. That's a new word. You're welcome. That is a new word. (laughs) I need you to use that in a sentence. I just did. You're welcome. Uh, A sentence that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of one time I went out for drinks with my friend Jessica and she was a really lightweight. And I said something to her and she looked up from her drink and she went, I'm sorry, my eyes focus slow. <laughs> oh no. So, uh, so I spoke into the microphosis as soon as my eyes focused. Sure. I've now used it in a sentence. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> um, he refused to answer any of the questions of the uh, reporters, and he was eventually met by the police officers with hugs and condolences. this is this is again where I'm just picturing this whole thing and I'm like I find it so very odd that like a dead woman is in his apartment and they're hugging him being like I'm so sorry it's because he's a white guy so he couldn't have done it exactly Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway Chuck was known to have a very interesting relationship with the local police he'd eviscerate them on the stand during cross-examination and then after the case was over he'd be like hey let's go get drinks and he'd buy them all drinks and so he was really beloved and respected how you keep your friends close and your enemies closer yep Um, so he was taken in for questioning by the police Mm -hmm. but before they took him in, he went to his office, like his work office, not once, but twice. And I find that very bizarre, too. That is very bizarre. Um, so then he goes to the police off to the police station where he is questioned for seven hours. Ooh. Um, his brother-in-law accompanies him. His brother-in-law was also a lawyer, but mm-hmm. he was instructed not to act as a lawyer. He was simply supposed to be there for support, like to be his brother-in-law. Chuck did not call an attorney to attend questioning with him. Dude, you are an attorney. <laughs> you know how stupid that is. Yeah. And I said, I find this extremely odd considering he's a defense attorney who charges around $500 an hour for his services. He is a defense attorney who I'm sure regularly uses the fact that people were not offered an attorney to get them off yeah. their charges. Oh, yeah. Um, as far as his record, he's won, he'd won like 500 cases at that point. He had settled like 1,500 cases outside of court, and mm-hmm. he'd arranged something like 2,500 plea bargains. Like, he knows what he's doing. That's so bizarre. Yeah. I, so he had his brother-in-law in the like in the interrogation room with in there. With I don't him? think he was in the interrogation room. I think he sat outside, oh. but he'd come down to the station with him to be moral support. I'm just, I'm really interested in whether he was like saying like I'm using my brother for moral support, but really being like, hey, I need you to make sure nothing shady is going on. Right. Well, at some point, although during- he is an attorney, so he could be like, if something shady went on, he could be like, dude. No, like you and I both know you can't do that. <laughs> at some point during questioning, I guess when he got a break, his dad called him on his cell phone and screamed at him for not having an attorney present. Because as you'll recall, his dad was an attorney. Like you do. <laughs> yeah. So- Listen, if I was an attorney and it was my kid, I'd be like, oh, he doesn't get a choice. I'm here now. <laughs> Kick in the door. <laughs> 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 so um the Mama's f- here. 
The forensics team. Well, no wonder I embarrass my child so much. <laughs> Good. Every kid needs that. The forensics team spent more than 10 hours at the scene of the crime examining it. Mm-hmm. Chuck later admitted, though, that they told him that they, quote, knew this was an accidental death and were simply following procedure. Sure. So, again, another red flag for me that they went in believing that Chuck could not possibly have done it. And you know how bias can taint the way you view things. Oh, totally. Yeah. So if they told him like, look, we're only doing this because we have to, Mm -hmm. then I wonder if they, I'm still not saying that he did it, but I'm saying, I feel like there are a lot of things missed in this case because of who he was. Okay. When he finally is allowed to return home, he answers a few more questions and then he shows the detectives things that he believes they missed. More red flags going off for me. I just can't. He says, Well, is he like, hey, you dummies. Okay. He says there were two empty half gallon orange flavored vodka bottles in his recycling bin that they hadn't noticed and that they didn't take. Okay. Look, I judge anyone who drinks orange flavored vodka. (laughs) (laughs) um then he tells them his theory and this is where i'm like don't let the possibly accused tell you their theory just don't do it (laughs) he says that from the photograph that he saw there were towels in the water on the Mm -hmm. rack above the tub a few decorative towels were hanging larger ones folded on top it was and remains his suspicion that julia tried to grab onto the towels to get out then fell back into the tub oh and then um the thing about the orange vodka was interesting to me because the initial reports indicated that alcohol and drugs had not been involved that's Interesting, too, because in the movie, she's like, hey, I had quite the cocktail going on in my system there. Yeah. Days later, this was a quote from, um, I believe, the book, but it might have been the magazine. I didn't annotate it. Um, Days later, when his pal Rich DeCipio tells the Inquirer that Chuck even cleaned the bathtub for the dead girl's, quote, dignity, a great many red flags are raised. It's a curious Mm -hmm. thing for two criminal defense attorneys to put out there. But Chuck says he did what he had to do. Quote, I didn't want a cleaning service to do it. I wanted to do it. That's where she died. I wanted to clean it myself, so I did. I mean, okay. I don't know. Except that if I'm trying to separate myself from this case, I'm not touching that. I'm hiring a cleaning service, so I've got a paper trail. You know, like... So, I don't know. I get it though. Like if they were, because they were sentimentally like, and they were involved. I guess. I don't know. I don't know what side I'd, I'd end up on, on that one. The days that followed revealed all kinds of weird information around this case. First of all, Decipio wouldn't stop talking and he talked too much. He was the first to release the information publicly that the police had told him in confidence that Mm -hmm. there had been no trauma to her body. Mm -hmm. He kept telling the press stories of how much Chuck loved Julia. I guess to paint this picture of Chuck being this super nice guy who was in love. Um, Right. And he even told the story of how he intended to take her to the Met Opera one day to like they had tickets in January Mm -hmm. um, to um, recreate this iconic scene from the movie Moonstruck. 
she wanted to go as two new lovers watching an opera about two new lovers and she'd already picked out her dress and he just got like way into the details of it and it just kind of became an over-the-top kind of telling of the story yeah i see that um when julia's family announced that they didn't want chuck or anybody from his firm at julia's funeral Mm -hmm. Um, went on to went on record to say that the recent breakup Julia had experienced was with Mark Henricks, who was a 36 year old attorney who also worked for Chuck. Okay. So that's when like the dad was trying to maintain this kind of secrecy and respect her privacy. And then, um, Decipio is just telling everybody their business. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, Henricks himself was involved in a lot of drama in the wake of Julia's death and wound up leaving the company to go work for a competitor because he didn't know that Chuck and Julia had been seeing each other. And um, the way he found out was DeCipio called him to say, I just want you to know we found, you know, they found Julia dead and here's what's going on. And um, Mark, not having any family around, went over to Decipio's house for like comforting mm-hmm. and he said how did anyone find her was she alone and that's when Decipio was like oh yeah chuck's uh maintenance person went and found her and he was like why would chuck's maintenance man find her and so the way he found out that she was seeing chuck was from that guy oops yeah um as the days followed this complicated web appeared that Julia had been in the middle of. She'd been secretly dating on and off this married man who spoke with Lisa DiPaolo, but on the condition that she would not reveal his name. And so for the book, he only goes by MB for Mr. Big because she called him Mr. Big because he was wealthy and paid for whatever she wanted, basically. Sorry, I just fell out of my chair. (laughs) Erin just fell into a puddle and not a good way. No. Not like when I mentioned Don Draper. <laughs> oh, hey, do you want to know what's so problematic about Mr. Big? Because we could talk about that for a couple hours. Oh, yeah, we could. <laughs> um, And he said his wife doesn't know about the affair. Mm-hmm. And um, he he said he was in love with Julia. And then DiPaolo said apparently everybody was. <laughs> well, look at her. Right. I kind of am, too. Right. She was beautiful. Um, and so then DePaolo recounts the 10 days before Julia's death. Mm-hmm. 10 days before she died, she wrote some posts on an online forum for alcoholics that she belonged mm-hmm. to. She wrote about her struggles trying to give up drinking and wrote that she'd been going through a lot recently that had made her start drinking again. Mm-hmm. She asked one of her friends on there about using benzos for withdrawals and seizures to taper off alcohol. And then she even mentioned that she had some clonopin, which is used for alcohol withdrawal, that she intended to keep her, to help her get off alcohol. See, I didn't know they used that. Yeah. For that, because when I'm thinking of alcohol withdrawal or tapering, I'm thinking you're mixing the two, and that's extremely dangerous. Right, no. Extremely dangerous. Um, So, And what she said in that letter, because I read it, and her letters are in this book, some of her letters and some of her texts, mm -hmm. and so I've read those things, and I've kind of pared them down. I'm not going to tell you word for word what they say, because I find that really disrespectful, but Mm -hmm. things that are important to this case, I will will summarize. Um, 
But she even said, like, she tried to taper with beer and it didn't work. And so now she was going to try the benzos. Um, but And he flat out told her that that was dangerous to mix them. God, this poor girl. I, it's so sad. Um, so then the last week of Julia's life, she went to a party for her friend, the receptionist, um, either Aisha or Aisha. I don't know how you pronounce it. A-I-S-H-A. Was it the graduation there. party where they were all like, woo? Yes. Jeez. Okay. Um, so Aisha had, she was the office manager, actually, not the receptionist, but okay. um, she had just gotten her bachelor's degree. And so they were having a big party and mm-hmm. Chuck left early. So. Um, because he's old. Yep. So she stayed late. She and Mark Hendricks were the last two people left. So Mark drove her. Mark said that he went home or she went home with him to his house. Okay. And so during Mark's interview with DePaolo, he refused to answer because she flat out said, did you have sex with Julia that night? Mm -hmm. And he said, nobody has respected her privacy thus far. I will be the first person who does. I will not tell you either way. So maybe that's the viewpoint in the movie is like the 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 reporter like doing her story or her book that's what i think okay that makes more sense in in the movie it was very disjointed because you know you're seeing all these interviews but they don't show who it is and then finally they get to this guy and he's like leave us alone like leave me alone and i was like yeah he's in the fourth wall like what's happening (laughs) the movie sounds like it followed this book pretty closely actually they um they embellished quite a bit but the basic storyline has followed this book pretty well Mm -hmm. um so Chuck wrote this thing. Okay. And this is why it's important to read this. Like the next part is a direct result of what I'm about to read you or like directly okay. linked to it. But he wrote this really kind of, I find it very creepy Facebook post whenever, Yay. whenever they announced, like when he was ready to talk about her death. So on the 26th, which was the day after they found her body, uh-huh. he wrote, I never thought I'd post something personal, but I'm just unable to thank each and every one of you individually for your warm wishes. It's very hard to find someone who matches you on all eight cylinders. I found my soulmate hippie and can never replace her. We worked. Uh huh. We worked and played and never got enough life. I'm grateful we made every minute count without a single dispute about anything ever, which seems like a very odd sentence to have in this. Yeah. I'm especially sad for her 10-year-old brother who was her life, along with her loving and close sisters, mother and stepfather. Earth lost the best one ever. Happy birthday, baby. So her birthday was the 27th of May. I don't like that at all. I don't either. Um, her birthday was the 27th of May, which is my little brother's birthday. So that's interesting. It just, to me, like everything else aside, just smacks of like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. I'm so sad. Like, exactly. But still that one sentence sticks in my craw. We did not dispute about anything ever. I would, Sarah and I don't fight. We never really have. She's very level headed. I want to fight and she just won't. Like, I like to yell, and she just ignores me and rolls her eyes right. (laughs) So, even then, if she were to die right now, I would not type in my farewell to her. We never fought about anything ever. Because that just sounds like we were fighting all the fucking time. Right? Um, Also, like, he says, like, we never, what, disagreed or uh, whatever he says. 
there's no way that y'all just agreed on everything right. all the time. But you, you were one day like, hey, let's get KFC for dinner. And she was not like, no, I want Taco Bell. Right. And the South, those are both one place usually. Yes, so you're good. It's, it's the only thing I could like, pull out of my head. I know. And I know they're the same place. There's a Kentucky Fried Taco Bell right down the street. That's funny. Um, so anyway, the... Um, so be let's see oh okay so during mark's interview he refused to answer whether or not he and julia had had sex but chuck was not happy that julia had told him that mark had driven her home that night and then she also told chuck that week that she was going to go out with a friend that he'd never heard of that friend <gasps> you have friends that i don't know well that friend happened to be mr big oh wow yeah. um and Mr. Big was married. He had three kids. He um, is an Ivy League graduate. He was very successful and made good money. Um, and MB reported that Julia confided in him that week that she and Chuck were fighting. Mm-hmm. But Chuck denied it heavily. And as I said in that Facebook post, he wanted everyone to know that they were never fighting. You're dummy. Um, dumb dummy. So she went on two dates with Chuck. I mean, with MB that week. One of them, he there's a fire truck coming. Just FYI. Okay. So one of the dates, um, MB took her to this club at a really high end hotel <laughs> in Philadelphia, which was their norm. And then they got a hotel room that night, and they had their affair. And then two days later. He came over. Well, they didn't. They they weren't like just having the affair when they were in the hotel room. I know. Like, they were having the affair the whole time. <laughs> I know. Um, nope. Only only twice a week they had an affair. <laughs> After that, it was it was not. Everything um, was on the up and up except that one hour twice. A week. Right. Duh. <laughs> um, they were texting Aww. constantly, and he he was in love with her from everything he says. Mm-hmm. Um, but so then later that week, he came over and helped her install a box fan in her house and then paid for her another night at a hotel. And she paid for her a central, an apartment with central air. Right. So, um, anyway, so then that was like three nights before her death. And so then it jumps to her final hours, which were really erratic. And like mm-hmm. I said, I read through her text. They were all over the place. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail because it is disrespectful. But yeah. um, she texted Mark at the beginning of the night. They'd had a big fight at work. And so she texted him. Nobody knows what it was in reference to, but she just texted thank you with a heart. And so apparently things were coming out on the good end after they'd had this big fight. Uh-huh. Um. And then she started texting Mr. Big and Chuck alternately about how badly she wanted. And I mean, she went into detail, but how badly she wanted them to be fucking her right then. Um, so can't blame her for that. No, not at all. Um, and so then she sent um, Mr. Big links to different porn for them to watch together and text each other while they were watching. Uh huh. To each his own together while they're in different places yes because he was at home with his three kids his wife was out for the night i mean but wouldn't you want to watch them when you were together in the same place well she'd broken up with mark and the Am other I two doing men that were not- wrong? yes yeah 
okay. Yeah, sorry. I didn't want to tell you this way (laughs) in front of the entire world. That makes it sound like I'm sending you porn, and so we should not do that. She is not. I'm not. <laughs> I would not open it if she were. Um, oh, I would scar your poor little baby heart. I it know. So then she, um, she kept telling Mr. Big that she loved him, and telling Chuck all the things that she wanted him to be doing to her, and then, the, wow. and then the text just stopped. But they honestly read like somebody who was just completely spinning out of control, like manic going out of control. She was like in the movie, she was very manic and very like, yeah. So Chuck was under a grand jury investigation. They finally released him of all suspicion. The autopsy report suggests that Julia had a seizure in the tub, which very well may be because her BAC was a point four. What? Just like the mom from the Perfect Sisters. That was her BAC. Who are these people? I cannot hold that much liquor inside my body. So, I mean, if her blood was really a, like, if her BAC was really a point four, that does match up with finding a gallon of orange vodka in the trash can. I think just the taste of orange vodka <laughs> would make me vomit it's everywhere. It's very medicinal to me. I... I would not want to drink that. Okay. Um, I don't suppose anyone will ever really know what happened in those final moments in Julia's life. However, lots of like conspiracies did come out and Mm -hmm. I told you about those. But the biggest one is that one witness who was a pretty reliable source Mm -hmm. claimed that he had seen Chuck leaving his apartment at eight in the morning, the day that Julia's body had been found. But the police swear that no report, no such report was ever made. Okay. And so I said, it's very twisted case with a lot of strings that all end in nowhere. And Julia's family will not say whether or where she was laid to rest, though her biological father believes that she was cremated. Even he was not told what happened of her remains. Her family doesn't want Chuck to have access to her final resting place after all the pain and drama that he and his office caused in her life. I get that. And I I think with so much like drama surrounding everything, it's probably best that they don't have like people traipsing in and out of there. Oh, absolutely. Because it is disrespectful. Like just let her be, just let her be. And that is the awful story of the death of Julia Law. But I do want this story was terrible. And I do want to talk about I told you I'd talk about some of Chuck's cases in a minute. Yeah. So um I said, however, no matter where you stand on Chuck or his guilt or innocence, I wanted to talk about some of the people he's defended because this is interesting as fuck. So Did he defend John Gotti? Close. (gasps) Um he represented Gary Michael Heidnick who you have heard of the case, I'm sure, even if you don't know the name, he kidnapped, tortured, and raped six women, eventually killed two of them, that he held prisoner in a pit that he dug out in his basement. Do you remember this case? No. Oh, yeah, it was brutal. Um, so... Oh, he's dead now, right? He was convicted he's- of first-degree murder and died by lethal injection in 1999. Thank you. Um, he also defended Joseph Salvatore, known as Skinny Joey Merlino. Now, in that case, I've heard of. Who was an American mobster believed to be the boss of the Philadelphia crime family. Mm-hmm. Um, he rose to power in the mid-90s after he fought a war for control against the organization. 
Okay. He led the crime family in gambling, loan sharking, and extortion. And in comparison to other traditional mob bosses who shunned the limelight, he was one of those who really liked the attention. Ah, um, so he was a, a gaudy, kind yeah. of. In 2001, he was convicted of several RICO charges, including racketeering, illegal gambling, and extortion. And he got a very short sentence. Um, okay. So since being released from prison, the FBI and organized crime reporters believe he continues to run the Philadelphia and South Jersey Mafia. Okay. Um, next. Look, he's got to make that money. Right. He also um, defended Nicodemo Dominic, known as Little Nicky Scarfo. Mm. I've heard of that guy, too. Yeah. He was a member of, of the American Mafia, who eventually became the boss of the Philadelphia crime family mm-hmm. after the death of Angelo Bruno and Phil Testa. Um, during his criminal career, Scarfo was described as psychotic, cruel, and vicious. I'm just realizing that I know way too much about the mafia. Yes, that's okay, though, because I am the cult person and you're the mafia person. Cool. Um, from many accounts of his formal criminal associates who testified against him, he would want to murder someone if he was shown the slightest bit of disrespect or even if he was stared at for too long. I mean, same. <laughs> His son went on to become a soldier for the Lucchese crime family. Okay. And then he defended... I love how they call themselves soldiers. Like, right. Just, that's so extra. Okay. And then this is the last one I want to talk about tonight, uh, for him at least, is he defended Joseph William Coyle, who went by Joey. And Joey was... I've heard of that guy too, but I don't... I find his case very fascinating. He was an unemployed guy who, in February of 1981, found $1.2 million in the street after it had fallen off the back of an armored car. And he just kept it. He didn't call the cops or anything. Uh, So would I. Right? His story was made into the 1993 film Money for Nothing, which starred John John Cusack as him. Was Joe it John Cusack, or Joe? Both of them. <laughs> it was like it was a three. It was like a three-legged race part. They were just it was a family affair. They yeah, got it all exactly. together uh, by John Cusack, and then it was also turned into a book called Finders Keepers: The Story of a Man Who Found One Million Dollars. And Coyle was well, nice. If would like to leave one million dollars somewhere and tell me where to find it, I'd greatly appreciate that. So. Joey was nice about it. He passed out just like fistfuls of hundred-dollar bills to his friends and neighbors. I have heard of this guy. He was arrested in 1981 at the JFK airport while trying to... For what? He was trying to... Oh, because they figured out that it was him. And so he's trying to fly to Acapulco. But he found it. But it fell off an armored car. It It doesn't matter. Um, Police found $105,000 of the cash in envelopes taped to his ankles. He was... Whatever. If I'm on that jury, I'm voting innocent all the way. Well... Um, he was tried, but not found guilty of theft because his lawyer, Peruto, put together a very good case of temporary insanity. Dude, as the lawyer would be like, he didn't steal it. It was in the street. Case closed. Goodbye. Let's go get drinks. Okay. Technically, I don't get that. It's not stealing. Am- amount of money that large found has to be reported. He just should have been better about spending it. Okay. I'm not going to go and say <laughs> he should have turned it over. You're not going to change my mind. I would I would turn it over. I wouldn't. I probably would. I'm 
I literally found a hundred dollar bill on the floor of Marshall's and turned it in. Yes. I know. You want everyone to think you're a badass, but you're soft at heart. I am. It's terrible. I hate it. I just really hate being that bunch of a softie. I wish I was better. Okay, let's talk about cases that should be Lifetime movies, and I want to go first. You can go first. Okay, so I read a book earlier this summer. I've told you about it. I talk about it a lot because it was yeah. so good. Um, I got to be one of the like first reviewers on it. Um and so hey, I was hoping you would do this at some point. The um the story or the book is called The Burn Zone. And yeah. it is by this amazing woman, Renee Linnell, who um escaped a cult. But it's her it's her memoir of getting into the cult and then realizing how far in she was because they just presented themselves as people who uh, were like really strong into meditation and she was kind of at a low point in life where she needed somewhere to belong and they preyed on all that weakness um, except that she wasn't weak. She is so fucking strong and I just want to see a movie about her being a badass and um we still talk on Instagram and like she that. keeps up with my life and um, she's just so fucking cool and That's incredible. Awesome. And I want to see her made into a movie because she is a badass. I mean, you say you're the Colts guy, but I used to study that kind of stuff in college. And so I wrote an entire dissertation about the FLDS. I knew that. <laughs> We're both cult people. Um, I just find stuff like that fascinating. I really, um, as this i don't know as trying to like get past like some of the religious stuff from my childhood i've been reading a lot about like evangelical um christians and um how that can turn like cultish and um like a lot of a lot of memoirs and stuff and so i'm gonna have to check that one out i had kind of forgotten about it you hadn't mentioned it in a little bit but um i'm definitely gonna put that on my list oh awesome thank you you're welcome it's yeah, it's just something I'm trying to work through. <laughs> All right. Do you have a case this week? Well, yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Yee! Okay. So I'm going to, I want to see the, um, the story of Perry Wright turned into a Lifetime movie. He, um, quote unquote, slipped and fell at a school trivia night. Um where it was like a big private school, like a fancy fundraiser. And um, he, uh, quote, slipped and fell again. Or did he? It's, there's a lot of mystery surrounding it. That on what sounds happened really familiar. Keep going. <laughs> um, you know, you know, there's um, his wife. Like, they were very, um, both very successful. Um, his wife was a little bit older than him, you know. Is this in Australia? <laughs> Well, um, if you read the book about this. I thought I fucking read a book about this. I was like, hold up. Oh, man. We're just fucking with all of you. (laughs) Did you believe us? We're really good actors. We are. Just, yeah. Where's my Oscar? Um, So this is our not-so-coy way to announce the first series or the first thing we're going to cover on uh, our new Patreon page, which will be coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to cover Big Little Lies. And I get to read a book that's Mm -hmm. not true crime. Uh, Again, I've read it once already. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I'm going to watch this. Actually, I'm going to send Paul the DVD so he can actually watch the series, too. We're going to we're going to do kind of what we do now um, with the book and the first season of the series. But then um, season two of the series drops June 9th on HBO. And that start picks up after the book ends. So we're just going to go from there go with and it. just cover the TV show. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a little bit different format because mm-hmm. I want to have actually seen the thing we're talking about. Yeah. And it will be more of a conversation and less of like you talk and then I'll talk, you know, about the differences and um, the story. I have a lot of feelings about this story. Um, it hit very close to home for me. So, so yeah, I'm very, very, very excited about this. Um, We'll come back at you next week with the details on Patreon. We are going to do the first episode on the main pod so that you guys can hear. And then if you want to go subscribe um, to the rest, then you can. Um, So we'll do that May 1st. Yes. So then what I need you to do, Paul, is pick four numbers between 1 and 35 so we can do the rest of May. Okay. May the force be with you. Do not me. ask your watch because last time she picked a number that was not between one and thirty-five. I was just going to go out of my head, but now I think I'm going to drive to a Chinese restaurant, get a fortune cookie, and read you the lucky numbers off the back, and you will be happy that would with be it. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, between one and thirty-five. Yes, me. Yes, sir. Yes, I'm ma'am. going to say two. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Nineteen. Mm-hmm. Seven. Okay. And 27. All right. So in no particular order, because we will probably reorder these. Girl fight. Okay. Um, terror in the woods. Yes! yes! <laughs> um... Oscar Pistorius, the Blade Runner killer. Oh. Yeah, that's going to be a rough one. And uh, Murder in Mexico. We're going back to the south of the border. Can we do it on location? I wish. The right. Bruce Beresford Redmond story. All right. That's actually a really interesting one. He was uh, a producer for the show Survivor. And oh, was yeah. accused of killing his wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, so we've got Slender Man. We've got the guy from Survivor. It's going to be nuts. And, and we've got Big Little Eyes. And next week we're watching Craigslist Killer, right? Yes, we are. Next week we're going to do the Which Craigslist is Killer. such an interesting case to me. Insanely interesting. I'm very excited about it. All right. This has is been... that it? I, for this case, we've been so shitty. I felt like we had a good time. I think we did too. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, don't forget to rate and review and subscribe. Mm-hmm. It helps us tremendously. We love reading the things that you say. I always read them first because if you want to say something negative, I don't have to tell Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, nobody's like been we negative. said, I like to be a badass, but I'm very sensitive. So, um, and we really appreciate all the love and support we're getting from you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just keep that coming. Even Sarah's poor family, who's probably still in shell shock. <laughs> They're probably still just wrapped in blankets, like rocking in the corner. I'm going to be oh uninvited gosh. from Christmas. Look, next week is Easter, and I really want to hear all about it. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, um, hey, don't forget to look us up on Instagram at yes. Lifetime at Sentence, Lifetime Sentence. Mm-hmm. and on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. Yeah. You can find our website at lifetimesentencepod.com. And then email us at lifetimesentencepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, hey, don't forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phones. Have a great evening. You too. Bye. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.